Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 366. And I know how a restaurant should operate. And while I'm, I feel like my food is good and, you know, creative and, you know, I'm having a fun time and a hard time with all these good experiences. But, like, you know, if I want to really grow, I need to push myself into it. I, I need to I need to start from the bottom. I need to go back, you know, go. I need to start from the bottom up again. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, guys, what if I told you I found a menu that's made from paper that's waterproof and rip-proof? This thing is basically dirty-proof. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, get me some of that. Uh, I hate cleaning menus, but you can have this menu. It's called Terra Slate Menus, guys. You'll get 15% off if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE at checkout. So what are you waiting for? Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com. One question for you, does your social media game have room for improvement? The answer is yes for everyone across the board. We all need to continuously be improving to be unstoppable. But if you don't necessarily know exactly what you're doing, social media can be super intimidating. You need a strategy. You need a plan. Where does it come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. The number one marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant Success. Head over to freebrsbook.com. One more time, freebrsbook.com to get your free copy of this book. I can't make it any easier. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Trig Brown, Chef Trig Brown. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable. All right. Uh, and a special shout out to our boy, Brooks Tanner, for uh, <laughs> hooking us up with another interview. I think he called out like 10 people. Uh, so thankful and grateful for my boy, Brooks. But let's dive into this. So uh, Chef Trig Brown is a graduate of the University of Virginia, where he studied English literature. It was while in college he met his mentor, Pei Jen Chang, who helped him develop his interest in Taiwanese food. Brown would go on to work for both Crafted Hospitality and Star Restaurants, where he further developed his skills. Today, Brown is the chef partner of Winston, a Chinese-American restaurant located in East Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. You've accomplished a lot in the short time. You've, uh, I mean, you're still a young dude that you've been in this industry. What you're achieving at a young age is great. I can't wait to find out how you did it, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got? Um, I think, you know, when I was younger, my dad uh, always said to me, you know, be a, be a leader and not a follower. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that – you know that that sort of mantra or um, quote is just uh, something. You know, I, I feel like you know you can never have too many chefs in the you, you can you can definitely have too many chefs in the kitchen. Uh, you know, and that can be a problem. But but you know, being a leader and you know that man, you know, living by example and uh, you know that that sort of 
that sort of mentality, I think, uh, helps you out with those tougher decisions and, you know, small, small decisions and, uh, you know, uh, certain, certain styles. I think, uh, if you, if you're trying, if you're focusing on not, you know, being a follower and trying to, you know, really be yourself and, uh, and, you know, carve your channel in life, I think, uh, I think that's just, you know, uh, been a helpful thing, um, you know, for me through tough times and, you know, through successful times and, uh, you know, that, that's just something that I kind of always think about. You know, my dad, my dad's a quiet guy and always says, uh, you know, says really valuable little, little things like that. And, I dig it, man. Yeah. I dig it. And uh, it kind of makes me think about how, um, you know, we all have to start someplace, right? Uh, and sometimes you have to be a follower to become a leader. And sometimes I mean, I'm curious, like, how do you, in your opinion, how do you lead uh, as a follower? Because, I mean, when you're first getting into this industry – it's hard to be a leader. You have to learn so much. Yeah, I, I, I think part, you know, I think that's what I was trying to touch on uh, when I start fumbling over my words. But really, uh, I, I feel like that, you know, being a leader, and not a follower doesn't mean doesn't mean um, that it's not so literal as it, as it is a personal, you know, a, a personal, um, a personal struggle, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're, I, I started out washing dishes in the restaurant industry when I was, when I was 15. And, um, you know, just doing the right thing is an example of being a leader. Mm. And, you know, if you lead by example, that, that's how you, you know, that's how you lead as, as a, uh, you know, as, you know, when you're lower on the table. Yeah. And, uh, lead from yeah. where you are. I mean, I feel like in every, no matter where you are today, you had to get there, but you're going to be in different positions along the way and choose to be the best in whatever position you are, whether it's a, a dishwasher, a line cook, a sous chef, or, you know, the executive chef, like be the best at where you are and you will get to the top faster and uh, you will be leading all before long, but awesome way to get this thing started, dude. And I let's find out where it all started. So, I mean, you studied in, uh, what is it? English literature. Um, uh, yeah. When you were in college, but you were still cooking, staging, traveling during the pre-interview chat. We, you just uh, divulged this information. So I'm curious, when did you know that this was going to be your career? Uh, why didn't you go to culinary um, school? Like, I'm kind of curious how it all played out. Well, I started washing dishes right when I was like 15. You're know, trying to. I, I think. Uh, I think Brooke kind of echoed the same sort of experience. Actually, um, you know, like if I was going to drive a car and afford one and, and maintain one. I, I was, I, and I live in a, in Goochland County, Virginia, which is about 15 miles outside of Richmond. And I was about, you know, 15 miles away from my high school. So, you know, you're far away from everything you need to drive. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, and I wanted that freedom. And I, you know, I think my boss, when I, I, I submitted a resume to get a dishwashing out, uh, job and, you told me I was like the only person that's ever submitted a resume to wash dishes. Um, but, uh, that, uh, you know, um, that, that's, uh, when I, when I, when I, sorry, can, can you repeat the question? I kind of got distracted myself. A no, bit. you're good, dude. Um, uh, yeah. So the question was basically, when did you know that this was going to be more your career and not just a now job? Cause it's, it seems like you, you right. know, you went to school for literature. Was it while you were in college that you discovered your passion for hospitality? And when did you, well, like, when did you know? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely, sorry, so that's where I, I didn't mean to go on such a tangent, but what, what I was trying to say is that I get, uh, 
you know, when I was when I was that young, and uh, I I didn't, you know, I liked playing sports, and I, you know, I I, I even ran track through high school when I was cooking, but um, you know, I stopped. I started cooking when I was like 16 at the restaurant I was washing dishes at. And the, the chef, um, you know, I kept coming back and washing dishes and trying to do a good job as a dishwasher because I thought that the chefs were so cool. And, uh, you know, food TV wasn't huge at this time. Like, I, you know, I, I, I did watch Iron Chef reruns with my brother, but, you know, what really drew me to cooking was the people and the, the colorful, um, you know, personalities and the just absurdity of the stories that I would hear. And, you know, um, you know, and, and, and in, in high school, I, I, I knew that I really liked to cook. And, um, I, I thought about going to culinary school and I was thinking about, you know, what to do. And, you know, a lot of the people that I looked up to, you know, in the front of the house and in the back of the house, you know, they told me, don't, don't do that. Don't go to culinary school. Don't, don't cook. You don't want to do this. But I, you know, they just were cautioning me against it for one reason or another. And, um, you know, and I, you know, it seemed like if, like if I was doing well in school and I, you know, I got into UVA early decision and, you know, I just pursued a degree there. And while I was there, I had access to some, um, to some great opportunities like working for Craig Hartman at, uh, Keswick estate, which is where I met Brooks actually. But that, uh, you know, and, and my mentor, uh, Pei Chen, um, who really encouraged me to uh, keep cooking because I came to another juncture after college where I had to decide where I was going to, you know, get a sales job or um, go to law school or, you know, continue, continue cooking. And, 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 you know, and, and I think it always went back to that, that kind of feeling in high school where I really looked up to these people and, you know, they were the most important people in my life in terms of setting an example for me and what was right and what was good, you know, in terms of hard work and, you know, what what you can do um, yeah. with with practice, you know, because I didn't really get that from sports for some reason. I didn't I didn't love my it was my coaches or my you know uh, my uh, you know, I always loved my teams, but you know I just got a lot out of cooking that I think most people get out of sports. And I, I uh, you know and I maybe that's the autonomy or creative um, you know satisfaction or immediate gratification you get. But um, that that moment in high school, I was like, well, I guess you know I'll keep cooking and I'll do college and I'll just you know, kind of cook where I can. The doors keep opening. I'll keep going. Fun fact. And then, fun know. fact. I got to stop you real quick before you get too far. Uh, you, you mentioned that Craig Hartman was one of your mentors. This is episode 366. He was episode 365. Uh, great interview. Just got off the phone with him this morning, actually. So, uh, oh, my God. Yeah, just I a, can't a, believe I yeah. <laughs> Fun fact there. And, um, well, he's the, yeah. What's that? He's like the god. He's like the godfather of of, of fine dining and and you know uh, in Charlottesville. You know, there's a few other OGs in Charlottesville, but Hartman's the one. Oh man, he was awesome. Um, he he was so great, man. He spit gold all over the place. You're gonna be looking forward to that interview. He's such a badass. But this is he about you. This is about you. And I I want to dive into uh, what you meant by like you were talking about looking up to all these chefs in your life and something about them, something drew you to them, the kind of people they were, the things they taught you. So really dive into what it was specifically that you admired about these people and what they were doing. Um, I, I, you know, you don't, like it, it, it's funny cause it's kind of ironic. You know, like I, you don't get a break at, at, when I was 16, you didn't get a break in the restaurant I was working in, but you could take five to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like, 
take a break with my chef and smoke a cigarette and just listen to these ridiculous stories that he would tell me. And and then it, then we'd be done with the cigarette and I'd go back to work and I'd work my ass off because I just liked working for this guy. I yeah. thought it was it was I just learned a lot about his life or you know cooking and where he cooked and he just made it funny and uh, maybe it wasn't even about the cooking at that time but you know it you know it was uh something about these stories and these colorful personalities and kind of the people that are attracted to cooking i met a lot of crazy people and uh you know and and uh and that was uh you know that was just hugely influential i don't you know i I, it was just so interesting it was like you know and uh and and then you you know as i got as, yeah, but as I got further along, you know, there was like, you know, I met Hartman and then Tay Chang. And like these two guys, like I re- working for them, I realized that that cooking was more than just stories and mm. fun and like, you know, perverted jokes or, you know, <laughs> going out. You know, it was like it was it, 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 it provided more than just these like, you know, vices that I wanted as a kid, which is like to go out and, you know get in trouble and, you know, do fucked up stuff that, that high school kids like to do, you know? And, uh, when I got to college, I started working partment and pay, like, you know, I was like, Oh my God, I, I have to like reevaluate my skill set and like approach it with a much more professional attitude. So and, wait, let's, uh, let's slide tap the brakes real quick. You mentioned something that really stood out to me. You said working for these guys like Hartman and, and Pei Chang, uh, you, dev- you learned that there was more, you know, there was more to it. Um, what do you mean yeah. by that? What was the more to it? Well, well, Pay, you know, I worked really closely with Pay. Um, you know, we Pay was the chef at the uh, Keswick Clubhouse. You know, it's not an Orient Express hotel anymore, but it was. Um, it was the the only other Orient Express hotel in the country at the time, besides the Twenty One Club in New York. Um, so, obviously, standards are high. And uh, when I when I started working at that, you know, I was working a little bit of banquets and like kind of like, you know, watching the guys at Fawcett, which was the high end, like, you know, famed restaurant at Keswick at the time. Um, you know, but I, I was like a line cook at, at the, at uh, the clubhouse, you know, first at lunch and then at dinner. And, um, and, and I worked very closely with pay and pay blew my mind. It, like apart like there's like you know pay and i's relationship very barely touches on taiwanese food to be honest with you like when i started cooking country club food with pay and like the way he organized and you know just like his like his his, uh knife was always so sharp and his knife skills were just so impressive and i was like that's how i need to like approach my classes you know like i need to think about like my life kind of the way pay like thinks about his 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 work, you know, and like the way he was cutting things and and storing, organizing. Um, From the outside you know, looking in, Chef, how did Peng look at his work? How do you think he looked at his work? Uh, well, Pei is a. Uh, did I say? He, he did I say Peng? I think I said Peng. Sorry, how did Pei look <laughs> at his work? Sorry, about that's what. Right. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, he he was a philosophy major at UCLA, and uh, you know I think I learned that early on. And um, you know he would, did a lot of listening, and like uh, you know bless his heart, bless his soul. Like, I, I probably talked way too much as a cook, way more than I should have. And uh, Pay kind of just like 
led, like I was talking about earlier, kind of just led by example. Like he just would say insightful, funny or encouraging things and try to teach me. And, you know, he had a wife and he has a wife and kids. And, you know, when, when we were at work, it was like prepping out, doing everything as perfectly as possible and listening to hip hop. <laughs> and, awesome. you know, so, you know, Pei was like a leader and a quiet leader. And all my life, you know, my, you know, I, I'm my, you know, my dad, an older guy from Virginia. And, you know, it's kind of like, it was, it was a kind of strict, you know, you know, childhood, you know, and, and, and in a great way. Uh, but with Pei, I was held to a, stand, a standard and the, you know, what I learned working for Pei was that, you know, like his management style was so attractive to me because I didn't get just like reamed out over and over again. Like it was just like utter disappointment if you like, if you fuck something up. And, mm. and you know, that, that was effective for me because I don't know, you know, I, I think I had some like kickback towards the strict, you know, um, you know, the strict uh, upbringing. So I think, um, you know, which sometimes got me in trouble or, or, or not, but the, but when I, I really felt good working for pay because it was like, uh, the expectations were clear. There wasn't a lot of noise, you know, there was a lot of yelling, <laughs> like, you know, um, you know, it, it was just a good, for me, it's good for my learning style. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky to have somebody who's so patient and, and helpful and had such good standards. So and, uh, what was it, if you yeah. could narrow it down to like one thing about life, how to be, how to hold yourself, what is the biggest thing you learned from pay? Um, I, I would say that sort I, I don't know how to say it in one word, but that, that kind of quiet, even keel, maybe even keeled, even dash keeled counts as one word, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like he is so even keeled and so patient and quiet that, you know, there's not a lot of extra noise around, um, you know, you just know the expectations and you know what is expected. And, yeah. you know, if you, it's not you, done, you it's very effective. <laughs> you can speak so much louder with your actions than you can with your words. And I, that's what I feel like I'm hearing from you is that he led with his actions. He led by doing and by setting the standard. Is that safe to say? Yeah beautiful absolutely uh, awesome dude yeah. so okay you you had this incredible mentor you went on i mean i don't know where we left off as far as where we were on your timeline um but you went on to go work for uh crafted and uh star restaurant group so uh were you being intentional i mean these are some great restaurant groups some incredible people to surround yourself with in order to, to become great yourself so were you being intentional about who you were surrounding yourself with or, or were you just taking jobs um no, well, I I was very aware of the opportunity to stage at Craft, and when um, I had a I had a friend, um, he uh, kind of he was like he kind of enlightened me the fact that you could go and work for free at these restaurants. Mm-hmm. But, and my brother lived in New York, so this one summer I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm going to go work at Craft. Um, so I'm going to work for free, and I went in there at like 7 a.m. and um, worked for Chris Parks, who's the sous chef, and I like cleaned a bunch of mushrooms, and you know, and I just did like made ice baths, like you know, clean short ribs, and um, you know, just like and made made pasta dough and like yeast out things, and um, just kind of exposed. You know, I, I went to see what it was like, and because I knew it was good, and when I got there and experienced it, I understood 
almost immediately that that was how you should run a restaurant or that, that's how you should, you know, that that's how you should approach food, you know, and, and I realized that I needed, you know, I, I, it was like culinary school. Craft is a very unique restaurant. So exposing myself to the, that uniqueness, uh, you know, without a culinary education aside from my experience was super important for me. And I was very attracted to that immediately. So and, for you, uh, you're almost trying to make up for lost time. Like you wanted to go to culinary school. You were talked out of it. You felt like you needed to surround yourself with these people and to get that un, um, unofficial or what's the word? Um, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Like, um, I don't have the word. Validate but. that, you know, you do belong in a kitchen and get that unofficial education. Uh, so you have something on your resume so you can get the job that, you know, will help you get your foot in the right door. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was necessarily looking for resume experience, but I was just looking for, uh, you know, I was just looking for leadership. Self-validation and, uh, was what I was looking in the words I was looking for. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Well, I don't know so much as self-validation as just learning. I was just pursuing okay. uh, edu- pursuit of education. Okay. I, I would say, you know, I was trying to learn as much as possible. And I realized that if you work for free, you get paid in knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And people don't see it like that, though. People don't see knowledge, experience, not only knowledge and experience, but network. You get to meet people. And it's all about yeah. who you know at the end of the day. Your network is your net worth. And if you get to go bust your ass for free, man, people are going to they're gonna pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I didn't realize how helpful. I mean, I... I knew I immediately understood the value, but I didn't understand that it's like you said, like network. And, you know, the, the guy I went, you know, the, the chef de cuisine, um, and the James Tracy and the executive chef of group of, of crafted hospitality at the time, uh, Damon Weiss. So, you know, James Tracy and Damon Weiss and, uh, you know, some of these other figures involved in that, in that company, um, you know, I, I, you know, I still am in contact with, and especially um, James Tracy and, um, you know, especially the sous chefs at, at the time, you know, these, um, these people are like huge influences on my life. Um, and, uh, you know, Ed Crochet, formerly Chef de Cuisine at Kraft, um, you know, my, my, my good dear friend, Mac Murdoch and Trey Bazor, um, you know, um, Luke Bergman, exec, like former executive chef of, uh, Colicchio and sons, like, uh, the, the things I learned from these people were like just mind blowing to me. And it was like, you know, when I decided to move up to New York and, um, you know, I, I, I permanently, um, you know, I was a chef at a restaurant. My pay hooked me up with this, you know, with an opportunity to run a kitchen in Charlottesville. And I did that for almost a year and I just realized I needed to get back to New York to continue learning because I wasn't in a place to be a chef yet. Mm. Okay, let's dive into that. Let's dive into that because I think there's lessons here when we know we're ready and you recognize that you weren't ready. So I'm assuming you're talking about your experience at Blue Light Grill as Chef Yeah, yeah. yeah. from 2010 to 2012. So what made you think that you weren't ready? How how did you know you weren't ready? Well – I mean, I just, I, I knew I could pull, I, I was pulling it off. Um, you know, we were cooking good food and, um, you know, but, you know, staff, staff at that, staffing a restaurant, like as a 20, 21, 22 year old was like extremely difficult. And I had a, I had a good team and, um, I just realized that the commitment to that restaurant was, was going to be a long term thing. And, uh, 
I was down for that. And I, you know, I did, I did my job for, for a year and, you know, um, we did great numbers and, um, you know, I think my food costs, are, you know, uh, I had to learn some of those things, those lessons the hard way and, uh, with under the guidance of pay. And, you know, um, he was, you know, cause Ken is upstairs. They're literally blue light grill was downstairs. Now it's a different restaurant. Um, and 10 was upstairs. And, uh, so pay was just a stairwell away. And, wow, that's huge. um, you know, he, he, yeah, it was huge. Um, it was, it was so huge. And, uh, you know, but towards the end of that year, I, I just, you know, I realized I was like, okay, if I'm going to, you know, commit my life to this, I need to, you know, I need to, I need to continue learning. I'm not ready to like, um, you know, I, I, I just want to learn, want to learn more. I want, you know, I, I know I have in my head from my, you know, experience with staging at craft and, um, quick young sons, I have this experience, this understanding of, of a standard and what it should be. Um, and I, and I know how an, a restaurant should operate. And while I'm, I feel like my food is good and, you know, creative and, you know, I'm having a fun time and a hard time with all these good experiences. But like, you know, if I want to really grow, I need to push myself into, I, I need to, I need to start from the bottom. I need to go back, you know, go, I need to start from the bottom up again. Like, you know, when I was, um, you know, a dishwasher and, you know, in high school and started cooking and worked through the station of this restaurant you know, that, that was extremely valuable. And I felt like, I, you know, maybe I moved a little too fast or, you know, there's just like a smaller, um, you know, it, you know, I was just young. I needed, I needed more experience. What exactly? Um, I mean, yeah, I didn't go to- was it like the, 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 you mentioned food costs and the little things, but what were, what do you think you were missing at this point um, that you lacked that you needed? Was it just experience? Like what, what was it ex- exactly that you think that um, you were in pursuit of that you needed to make it to the executive chef level? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, just, just confidence maybe getting, getting, no, I think that might've been <laughs> over, over like, just getting destroyed by chef. You know, like, yeah. yeah, that's important to get, to get destroyed and really go. I, I actually talked to, um, to chef, uh, the, the chef at a restaurant in Charlottesville, chef owner of a restaurant called CNO, um, Dean Moffin, um, before when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with cooking and you know pay that's his bro, pay brother-in-law, um, so you can see how small the network is in Charlotte, or you know just the the world is in general. But um, I talked to Pay and I went and sat with him. And at this point, he was executive chef of Fawcett's, and I was working for Pay at Ten. I went and sat down with him in the dining room, and it was you know, it's a very nice dining room. And he was and he did the Greenbrier um, culinary program, which is you know um, an extremely reputable program, especially back in the day um it, it was you know with damon weiss the you know tom click as executive chef for a long time he uh he, you know, he made it through that program as well um when i was talking to dean you know he's like he made this point that i and i think about it a lot because I, I i feel like I, i've been i went i feel like i understand what he's talking about now but you know he told me it's like there's a lot of trials you know and challenges i face at at the greenbrier and uh I, and, he, and, he, and, I, and he said, you know, you go through a lot of dark times of, of you know, you go through a lot of dark times of you know, fuck. And I, like, that's what he said. And I was like, <laughs> it, was very, it was very dramatic for me to do that. And, uh, and I was like, okay, like, um, you know, um, that, that, that was just something that, and, and, you know, I think uh, moving to New York and coming from a, you know, as a 22 year old, having a salary and helping, uh, and you know, of you know, five hundred dollars 
the rent, you know, my, my, um, my cost of living was low in Charlottesville, you know, and, um, I moved to New York where I could barely afford anything. I had to sell my car and I had a motorcycle. I had to sell my motorcycle. Um, and I was getting paid 10 50 and I, you know, I, I, I didn't have health insurance and, uh, you know, um, it was, uh, it was like, it was, you know, I didn't, yeah, and I didn't even get to go to craft at first. I had to go to, I had to go to curriculum science, which I, you know, thought was, you know, not as good, but I, you know, learned that it was, it was an amazing experience working at curriculum science. And I started out in the tap room, uh, working for Kyle, uh, Kyle Koenig, Chef Kyle Koenig. He's now the exec, uh, chef to cuisine at craft. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a guy, he's a Texas guy. And, uh, you know, he, he, he told, he would tell me this all the time and said, when I, when I interned at, uh, Bouchon, um, every time I walked in the door, the chef looked at me and said, I'm going to bury you today. <laughs> and, and like, that's kind of how Kyle was like, you like, you know, I just was like, yeah, it was, a, you know, so like, you know, I was scared of Kyle. I was scared. Of, you know, we were the, you know, three or four of us who worked on the line with Kyle every night. Um, we had a funny little team and we, we had a, we had a blast and I, I learned a lot working for Kyle and, uh, and, um, you know, going through that, you know, you know, working six, seven days a week, uh, you know, I would go in there and I would, um, <coughs> I would work for free in the mornings and, um, you know, I, 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 I work with a butcher and I go in at like Jesus. 11 in the morning, 10, 11 in the morning and work with a butcher until two. And I learned a lot. Um, you know, they had stalls and, and, and they had, they had band stalls and the bottom of Colicchio and Sons and the basement oh, of Crafts. Awesome. Yeah, you know, so you know you can break down you know, big stuff with relative ease, and uh, you know, just manage a lot of um, a lot of product and uh, you know big walk-ins and lots of you know storage containers and you know it's just a lot of opportunity to learn how to do things the right way. And you know, so I you know do that and I go work in the tap room with Kyle, and you know that that was that was a really good experience. And then um, you know I started coming in early and uh, doing projects with Luke Bergman, who was the executive chef of the whole restaurant. And, you know, he, he's a Boku store competitor and passion trophy winner. Um, you know, um, uh, and, and his technical skill was, uh, you know, and, and, uh, knowledge is, is vast and, and that's been something I just never encountered before. Um, so I, I was just like mind blown by, by Lou. Uh, the, you know, he was a, he was a very close, uh, friend and mentor of mine as well. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, going through, working through the line. Um, at Clicking Sons was just, uh, you know, I, I got to, uh, be the, uh, entremet for this guy named Pace and Dennis. So I was a fish entremet. Um, so I like, you know, prepared the, um, I prepared, uh, all the garnishes and vegetables and a lot of the sauces and, you know, the, the stuff for the fish station, you know, um, and, and I, and I would play Pace and Fish and Pace and is, one of Tom Clicchio's sous chef at Gramercy Tavern. And, you know, I think, you know, he went down to the Caribbean and was a chef in a resort down there. And then he went to, went to teach at Mecky New England Culinary Institute um, as a teacher. And then he kind of wanted to get back into the industry as an older guy. And he's like, you know, he's a little bit older and um, having like a, you know, 50 plus year old um, individual in the kitchen is, is a little, is a little uh, strange at first because Payson is, you know, he's, just physically much older than everybody yeah. else. Um, you know, it's a young, you know, a brigade style kitchen and, you know, Manhattan is a, it's a, it's a younger guy's game. And Payson was just 
everything he did was perfect. And, you know, it was such a extreme opportunity to work around pacing because I just learned so much all the time. All of us did. All of us in the brigade felt that way. Dude, the yeah. theme the, the theme that keeps coming into my head, Chef, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, is just sacrifice. And not even sacrifice to get your own restaurant, but you were sacrificing just to get experience, just to get knowledge, just to get around these people. Are you ready to open a restaurant? Well, I don't know. Are you ready to sacrifice everything that you have to, to be successful and not even just for you, it was sacrificed for the knowledge. And I feel like that's just a huge lesson. Like what, what are you willing to do to get the knowledge, to get the experience, to get the right influence, to understand what it takes to be successful. Um, and that's what, yeah. that's what I'm well, feeling. The, that's what I'm getting from you. Um, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I mean, yeah, I think that's the culture. No, not at all. But I think that's, that's, that's the, been the culture of kitchens for a long time. And I'm lucky enough to have uh, been, in New York at a, at sort of on the tail end of that, because now you can't really do that. No, you can't, you can't trail for free anymore, or you can't work with the butcher for free before you clock in. You get sued for that shit. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 it kind of sucks to be honest with you. You can't, that's not, that's not, uh, the nature of the industry I think is ultimately going to change for the better, but you know, I'm sure you've read a lot of these like, apocalyptic you know restaurant industry theories you know um which you know everybody's entitled to their own thoughts but you know i think you know things things are just, things change and yeah. if you can adapt then 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 you will adapt then you will grow and change with it and the good the good things will stay but you know i think uh you know it's, it, it's definitely there's definitely bits and pieces that are that are that are sad you know i think a robust like um you know trade school um, program in the U.S. would be very helpful for, um, you know, providing alternate means to that access mm. for, of information on an apprenticeship level at a young age. You know, Americans, I think American schools need that sort of option because, you know, what, whatever we're doing doesn't necessarily seem to be that most effective. But, what, you know, that's... Well, you're really seeing restaurants different. open as schools. Like, they're a school first and a restaurant second. Um, you know, so there yeah. are really creative models out there, people doing different things because they understand the, the value of that mentorship, the value of that education. And really, at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, this, this industry was built off mentors and mentees. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah. Apprenticeships. Everything was apprentice Before colleges and universities, like the CIA and all these, these big culinary schools, you became a chef by apprenticing. That's, that's, the, that's how you did it. And we've lost that. I think personally we need to go back to that. I'm not a huge fan, I mean, of I, – I don't think you should be – I don't know, man. Maybe I'm speaking out of line, but I don't think you should be investing in a, college, a culinary degree personally. That's my personal belief. If you want this bad enough, you will go out there. You will surround yourself with the people that will give you the skills you need, and you don't need to spend a dime. And that education will be ten times more valuable, and you won't get yourself stuck in debt after you graduate, not being able to take any jobs. Like because you can't pay off, it just doesn't make yeah. sense. But that's a different. I guess that's a different. Um, no, no, definitely. I think you know. I think it. At this point in time, it really, yeah, it really depends on where you're at in your career. You know, if you're a young guy and you don't want to go to college and you go to culinary school, then you know, that's a great opportunity. Um, and I think, uh, especially scholarships and you know, with the right mindset, you can really take advantage of a culinary degree. Mm. Um, is it expensive? Yeah. Is the return? Um, you know, the 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 forecasted. Uh, you know, is the money that you might be making, um, 
after you graduate culinary school, um, does it make sense? Justify? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but, well, you know, uh, I don't. I shouldn't say you shouldn't. I mean, I feel like if you got the experience, you've been working in the industry for years, you know this is going to be your life. You know you're passionate about it. Then, it, then maybe consider culinary school, but don't go straight out of high school to culinary school because you might not be good at it, let alone even love it. Um, and that's a lot of money, and, and not right. everybody is cut out to perform at the level you need to be able to perform at to be good at this. So, yeah, I don't know. Man. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, like, I'm, sh- and I, I sense this from you too. Like, you know, I, don't, I definitely don't want to like make any sweeping generalizations about folks that are making those decisions because, you know, if you did start washing dishes when you're 15. And you got a feel for the industry so much that, you know, maybe it would have made sense if I went to culinary school after, after high school and maybe I'd be further along. But at the same time, I met so many people, made so many valuable relationships that, you know, yeah, I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything about the way, the way that I, I went about it. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think definitely it's like a high school level thing that, mm-hmm. that, you, you know, regarding mentorships and, and, and apprenticeships and, you know, I think that's where we can, you know, as a community, you know, help out, help out um, with the sort of yeah. irony of, you know, of the restaurant I, industry. I, I think what it boils down to is a lot of, of the, the issue we have today in the world is that everything's very transactional. Every relationship you have is transactional. Yeah. Think about going to the store to get groceries. It's a transaction. You don't know the person that's checking you out, the, you know, the, 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 the cashier or whatever title they have. They don't know them. Like, you don't know the, the person that's handing you the deli meat over the counter. Everything's a transaction. We've gone away from these transformative relationships where we know everybody. Now everything's a transaction. And it's the same thing with employment. You don't have the time we're working some of these restaurants. We don't even know the person that owns the restaurant. It's a transaction. Like, they give you a paycheck. And that's, I think that's a problem with society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're ranting and raving right now at this point. We need to get back to your story, your timeline, and learn more. I, I, no. I, yeah. I, I want to talk well, about – tough. it's a tough day and age. Like, yeah. Like, I, that makes me – you know, like um, – yeah, but it is. It's just tough. Like, it's – you know, I, I just – personally, like, I learned most of my – like, I learned so much at working for free and, you know – uh, or not for free, but for knowledge. I'm so much, you know, that it just feels like that sort of earnest. Like I, you know, I have people that are like, Hey, I want to come, you know, trail for the day. I'll, I'll work for free. No, like you can't, like, you know, you could sue me, you know, I, I could, you know, like, or, you know, you, there's you gotta to be a, trail. I feel like there's gotta be a workaround. There's gotta be some kind of paperwork you can sign to like protect yourself. Yeah, I'm be. sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with interns and J one, uh, J one internships and culinary school and, internships and externships you know there's definitely paperwork around it um so for sure i want to dive into more like modern time or current time uh how you came across your business partner and how you made your baby come into reality yeah um well my partner and i met um you know on the on the um when I, when I, when I moved in with my brother when I worked at Clicky on Sons and, uh, I, I was only there, only at his apartment for about a month before I realized I, like, could not continue sleeping on the floor and working massive shifts. Um, and, you know, I just needed some more, um, some space, to, you know, to myself so I could, uh, you know, be, be a real person. <laughs> like, you can't live out of a bag on the floor. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or you can, but, uh, you know, 
when you're working for such a, you know, for $10 or 50 cents an hour, you know, like you need to be like taking care of yourself. So you put the, the time you're putting in for that sort of compensation is, you know, you're, you're mentally able to retain as much as possible. So you're not just working for $10. An hour. Um, and, you know, I felt a high pressure to find an apartment and I, you know, had a mutual friend of mine. Uh, we, we were looking for apartments, you know, every free chance we got. I found a place way out in Bed-Stuy, um, um, in, in, in Brooklyn. You know, I, I didn't know much about Brooklyn, but, um, I, uh, you know, we found a, found a cool apartment, even had a little backyard in it. Um, it was a little bit, um, the, the neighborhood was, uh, what, you know, people said it was like rough or whatever, but I just had an awesome experience there. Really, um, really nice neighbors. Like I, I still keep in touch with you know, the kid that was like 15 years old that lived upstairs that were, you know, like, I feel like, uh, we, you know, it was a, it was a fun, it, it was a fun time. My life it was exciting. You know, definitely like going, went through some dark, dark times trying to figure out what I was going to do or how I was going to make it work. But, uh, we had a, we had a backyard and, uh, and that, and whenever we had a day off, you know, the, my kitchen, the, the my, my coworkers and I, the, in, in the kitchen I was working at Colloquium and Sons, we'd get together and we'd, you know, Roast a whole pig. Or, yeah, I bet those uh, are some yeah. pretty badass backyard barbecues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that we kind of crowd. Cool, cool <laughs> shit and really enjoyed it. And uh, you know, my you know, we started doing them kind of regularly whenever we you know, or I guess irregularly, but you know, it was known that if you know it was Memorial Day or the Fourth of July or you know one of these holidays that everybody had off, even if you worked in the restaurant industry, um, you know, we would do something. We'd throw down. And uh, my upstairs neighbor. Um, you know, his best friend is my partner. And so we met and, uh, you know, right shortly after I moved to the city and started doing these barbecues with my friends, um, you know, my partner, Josh, uh, we were, we were, uh, you know, we were just, we talked, uh, very briefly about, um, you know, our, uh, you know, he, he, I, he told me that his, uh, that his parents were from Taiwan and, you know, it's like, oh my God. So my mentor from, from home pay, um, he, uh, you know, this guy I've been cooking for forever. Um, he was, uh, you know, he, his fan, he's politically Chinese, mm-hmm. um, with family from Taiwan. He's an LA guy, he's politically Chinese with family from Taiwan. That's very confusing. So, um, you know, as like a, as a, as a person of ignorant to that sort of political nuance, um, I, you know, I, just understanding what that meant and learning that through pay, that, that's most of what I got about Taiwanese food with pay. Like we did a lot of, we cooked Japanese food together after Keswick. So, um, you know, that was, that was like the, that was like the main, that, that was majorly what I cooked for pay. We, we cooked Japanese food and, uh, you know, some, we did a pop up where we did some Southeast Asian, uh, you know, we did some various Southeast Asian food items that were, uh, that was a really fun pop-up project, but pretty much Japanese food, um, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. And, uh, but, you know, so, but, uh, you know, I looked up the pay so hard when I, when I met, I met Josh and he told me that his family was from Taiwan. I was like, oh, I would love to eat Taiwanese food. And one of the great benefits of being in New York, um, you know, was the diversity and access. Yeah. And we, we started eating Taiwanese food together. And, uh, you know, I'd pay would, when he would go to LA and come back to Charlottesville, he'd bring like Zongzo, which are like the rice dumplings are so good. Okay. But, uh, aside from like a few other things, I hadn't really had Taiwanese food. So I was really 
you know, kind of in this, on this like educational pursuit again, like of, of like knowledge and uh, like trying to get, like understand more about pay and like, you know, what, you know, what was Chinese because like, under, like it was fairly, you know, while it is nuanced, it was, it was, you know, it, understanding what is Taiwanese and what is Chinese to me, that was like, that was very interesting to me. So when Josh and I would go eat Taiwanese food and flushing um, and, and Josh would like, you know, show me some of the food that he grew up eating, we would still end up eating both Chinese and Taiwanese food made by um, this uh, amazing team of restaurant, restaurant um, owners at this uh, spot called Baygon or Main Street Imperial or Taiwanese Gourmet. It has these three names, <laughs> but uh, we would, uh, you know, there's like a dish that we bonded over immediately. Just called fly fed. Okay. Fucking perfect. It's like, <laughs> it's more, more chives than it is ground pork. And it's very gently sauteed or not gently. It's not the right word. It's very quickly sauteed and like a lock. Um, when, and you know, like the pork fat coats, coats the chives and, uh, mm. You know, there's some fermented black beans and some chilies and some garlic and some sweet, and some salty, and um, you know there's all these like there's all these like this is perfect balance of flavors and it's it's a vegetable dish with pork, right? So like I mean to me that's what because there's more vegetable than pork and that, that's like a nice way to eat, right? It's like it doesn't bog you down. It's um, it's really you know fresh and vegetable crunchy and has these little unctuous chunks of ground pork throughout it that really lend a delicious fat to the whole dish and tie everything together and then. The seasoning is so balanced. It's just it's just perfect, simple food, and that resonates with me, especially as I spent so much time at craft, where you know almost the craft mantra is simplicity and you know purity. You know, from the Zhu program to the roasted meats and the fish and the market vegetables, it's all about simplicity and pure flavors. You know, and concentration. So, um, you know, like this dish fly said to me is like a perfect dish, and. And it and it's not Taiwanese. It it, it it hails. It's a Szechuan dish that is a, that is you know that is all, that is popular in Taiwan. Um, and so I was learning so much about you know just from these dinners with Josh that you know we just became friends and we'd yeah. see each other at parties and um, you know talk and we also both rode motorcycles. You know I sold mine, so he had a, he had his still and um, he was in property management and you know um, he just. You know, he's like a very interesting, very interesting guy. Josh is like, you know, he, he um, has a property management company, had a property management company and um, did, uh, you know, he, uh, he just knows a lot about, you know, project management. A lot of the things you need to know about if you're going to open a restaurant managing properties, which <laughs> like seems like a, you yeah. know, a really good business choice or a business partner, you, the, the kind of person you want to go into business with, uh, which is something I was hoping we would talk about today is that, you know, a lot of the time you, you can go outside of this industry to find people that have very specific skills that can be applied within the industry, things you're going to need to know how to do. I mean, a lot of people say the restaurant industry isn't about necessarily, it's not, you're, you're not in the business of restaurants, you're in the business of real estate. Because at the end of the day, that's yeah, your most rest- valuable yeah. asset is the, the you know, you have your, the experience you create, which is what you're selling, but you also, the, the physical, tangible part of that is the, you're building a business, uh, you know, uh, you, you could potentially be owning all these properties. And that's, that's your retirement plan yeah. right there. So, um, yeah. So I was really interested in that relationship. So it sounds like, you know, you just, you both had this shared passion for Taiwanese food and you just instantly kind of clicked. Uh, So talk to us about the, the, how this business partnership 
uh, works. Uh, and when I guess first, first, when did the, the conversation of opening Winston start? So, so like well, on our many trips to Flushing, um, you know, we were you know eating the food and talking about it, and you know, I was enthusiastic about learning about it. And um, you know, Josh is was uh, he was uh, you know aware of this space um, and uh, helping the landlord lease out the space, and uh, he was so they were like vanilla boxing this spot, and uh, that means they were getting it ready, you know, structure, you know, getting it ready, you know, doing the flooring, um, getting it ready to preparing the space to lease out to people. And I think some of the restaurants he was talking to weren't, weren't super pumped about it because the work required uh, would go into it. Um, and, um, you know, I, and, and, you know, simultaneously Josh and I's relationship over the few years, you know, was uh, you know, very much about eating Taiwanese food and, and uh, you know, just um, sort of vibing out on you know the things that we you know appreciated because both of us worked a ton. You know, that's being a property manager on call at all times, and uh, you know, um, we uh, I think you know we started joking around about it eating together. You know, like oh, we should start. You know, I think when we kind of realized or, or, or you know pinpointed that New York does not have that much Taiwanese food or, you know, it seemed underrepresented to us. You know, we, we could go, you know, eat flushing at various places, but uh, specifically Taiwanese food, um, that's, that's like, uh, that, you know, in, in where, where Pei is from in L.A. in St. Gabriel Valley, there's tons, tons of it. And I haven't been, been out there. I would, uh, you know, it's, on, it's like one of my top priorities. Um uh, I've been to Taiwan a few times, but, um, you know, th- there just seems to be an underrepresentation in New York. Well, but there is a lot of Taiwanese communities. And, uh, you know, so we, we kind of pinpointed that it was, it was sort of underrepresented in terms, in, in, in the culinary landscape. And, you know, we, we started, I think we joked around about it. And, um, you know, we we're like, oh, we should do this. You know, like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Well, no, it's so interesting. Past- and that's a lesson that comes up a lot on the show, too, is that, um, you're better off doing, one thing better than everybody else. If you can find a niche and own that niche and be the place to go to for X, whatever that X is, if you're the best at that, whether it be burgers, pizzas, you know, whatever, but in a city like, you know, New York, all those niches are, have been covered. So, you know, if you can get creative and own something particularly for you guys, that was Taiwanese food because it wasn't being done and you knew you could be the best. And guys, if you can be number one, the difference between number one and number two is something stupid. Like, like, I don't know, like uh, I want to say it's like 70% more or whatever. If, if you're number one versus number two, everybody wants to go to number one. Um, it's very right. powerful. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, that like, the way you're talking about it is very crystallized and like that didn't, that crystallization, like I think that came later. We like, we pinpointed the underrepresentation mm-hmm. and kind of started talking about it. And then my, I, I did a, uh, a, a pig roast for this guy's birthday and I was talking to Hartman beforehand and getting advice on, you know, how to get the pig perfect. Cause I'd, I'd done smaller pigs in the backyard and stuff, but I was like getting, you know, I was getting paid to do somebody's part, you know, um, birthday and, um, this uh this uh I, I i i knew one of the kids in his family and 
um, you know, he kind of hooked me up with a job and, um, I used their oven and they had never, like, never, they didn't even know their oven worked or, you know, they had been in their house since <laughs> they bought it in like the seventies. So like, they were like, Oh, we didn't even know how, how that worked. But you know, I had some experience lighting a lot of ovens. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I just kind of you know, fiddled with pilots and like, you know, adjusted the thermocoupler and was able to light, light a few things and get it going. And it was awesome. It was just a super industrial piece of equipment to have in your home. And, That's crazy. Um, you know, that was, that was when I was first working at Kraft. At, and uh, they, they called me a couple of years later and were like, hey, if you guys, uh, if you want this oven, we're renovating our kitchen so you can have it. But you have to get it out of our house. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, Josh and I were, I knew Josh was, you know, uh, you know he had been pouring a lot of time and money into, into you know, getting this space ready to, uh, you know, to lease out and people, it wasn't, wasn't getting kind of the results that he wanted. And we, um, or not with the faith, just people weren't as interested as he thought they'd be. And we, uh, you know, I was like, Hey Josh, like why, why don't we go get this oven? Uh, you know, ovens are anywhere from, you know, five to, you know, 15, you can spend a million dollars on an oven, like a French sweep from France, you know, like that. You could literally spend a million dollars on that. Um, so you have the uh, oven, you had the space, and you're like, Josh, what are we waiting for, dude? Let's do this. Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of how it came. You know, he, you know, we, we, we were, uh, we were kind of just presented with the realities of the situation, uh, and you know, we start, we, and yeah, you know, throughout this, you know, probably year period, we, you know, we were both very busy at the time that we even got the oven, and we were like, I was like, you know, we should get this oven. We can sell it. It can maybe up, you know, sweeten the deal for whoever you're trying to lease the space out to or help the landlord lease out to. And, you know, if, uh, and if, if that doesn't work out, um, you know, we, we can sell it and split on eBay or something and split it. Or we, you know, maybe we just use it for and start the restaurant ourselves. And, uh, you know, I think we've both been kind of thinking about it in the back of our heads, but, you know, I was, I was at Kraft and he was, you know, had, has his own company and, you know, I went on to be a sous chef at Upland and, and, um, you know, that was an extreme, um, experience and uh, but you know it, it kind of permeated and and we were considering it and and that's when it became serious is when we started you know we started thinking about about it like that you know we went and got this oven and, and you know, we bought, we rented a U-Haul together we went and got the oven and we hauled that old ass oven back <laughs> to Brooklyn <laughs> awesome and uh, and that that kind of set the question into our head and you know over the course of the next year year and a half we um it became the reality of uh you know what was in front of us you know it became starker and uh i think that's um how'd you guys make it all happen like once you you know you have the space you were committed to the idea you were going to make it happen how did you make it happen um so i think when you know josh committed to the space uh personally you know he had he was putting a lot of his savings into getting the space ready um, and then we did a Kickstarter, um, a, you know, $30,000 Kickstarter, um, that, that we met, we, you know, we met, we met our goal. Um, and that enabled us to, um, finish out some, finish out the walk-in and the keg tower. You know, Josh laid the bar himself and, um, you know, his, his friends from Soda, um, gave us a good deal on the, uh, on some of the lights and, um, you know, their, their, their design work is just, is is mind blowing and impressive. It's really beautiful, and uh, it really looks well. Really matched and paired well with the old raw space. Um, and 
uh, Josh's work on the bar was just it was, it was like you know beautiful and uh, the um, you know his his ability to project manage with the GC and you know um, the the ventilation guys and you know. Uh, on just so many levels, the, the savings we were able to achieve through Josh's knowledge and expertise, um, what made it, um, made it, um, a reality with, you know, a Kickstarter and, and, and his savings. And, you know, I bought the table with, you know, from Kona, which got cool. Um, and, um, so I'm curious, that's how we got started. How, do you have any like, advice we, for we the, barely, what's that? Yeah, I mean, we barely got the course. <laughs> so, how did you? I'm curious about the uh, the Kickstarter. What advice do you have for running a successful Kickstarter campaign? Um, oh no, uh, do it. Um, we we at one point we thought we weren't going to get it, and we like we threw we we like invested we like bought I think we like put a thousand bucks in it to like get it going a little bit. We jump started it, and it worked. <laughs> Nice. So I mean, you know, do, do play dirty. If you ask, I mean, that's not playing dirty. But, you know what I mean? Like, Prime in the you, engine, you, man. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I don't know. Just keep at it. Like, there, if there's a will, there's a way. And uh, you know, it was pretty scary for the first month. I, I, I didn't have any employees. I had a dishwasher sometimes, um, <laughs> which is extremely hectic. Uh, my girlfriend, she's a chef, um, and we, you know, she helped me out almost every night on the line and. Um, you know, we, it was really, uh, it, 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 if anything happened differently from, you know, the point Josh and I met, you know, unaware that we were business, would be business partners to, to like, you know, the first couple months of service, you know, developing, like if things happened differently, like it might, you know, it might not worked out, but, uh, you know, so what, so made, what makes you think, or what do you think contributes to the fact that it did work out? What what is it about your partnership and what you've done today that has made it work? Um, well, you know, we're we're still just a year and a quarter old, so I'm going to knock on wood and you know, hopefully yeah. it continues to work out. <laughs> it has worked out so far, I think. You know, mainly just because uh, I think uh, you know Josh and I are there every day, and we uh, I think we you know, took a lot of risk on one another, um, you know, um, and, and, and our partnership. And I, and I think, uh, you know, we, we trust, you know, you know, a lot of people say don't trust me. And, and I think that's, that's definitely a valuable piece of advice as well. But, uh, you know, at the same time, we, we just, we we're very fortunate. We had, a, we had, a, we had some great people, uh, Corey Bennett and Jesse Chappelle, um, these guys, really helped us build a great team in the front of the house. You know, one of our long-term um, employees from day one, um, Erica Hall, she's our assistant general manager right now. Um, you know, we just had, we just, you know, put put together a good team and really organically, um, you know, put, you know, uh, came together as a team. And I think, uh, you know, being there every day and, you know, like leading by example and, um, you know, Setting standard and uh, communicating and open door policy. You know, work. You know, if we need to, you know, we don't have like a porter service. Like we do all. You know, our opening servers. Um, they they do a lot of cleaning. Um, you know, me and my guys scrub the floors. You know, every night in the kitchen. And um, you know, now we have some uh, solid dish guys too that are that are definitely the most some of the most important people in our in our on our team. You know, we've, we've developed systems and stuff, but we're, I think, honestly, I, you know, after just 
blabbing for a few minutes. Like, I, it's just systems, like good people and good systems. Because, um, you know, if you don't, if you can't develop a system that people can plug into, it's easy to create tension or exclusion or miscommunication. So I think the, the, utter importance of developing systems is crucial so, to making things successful. So, yes, absolutely. 100% agree with you in that statement. What, what advice do you have for us in creating the systems? Where do we start in systematizing our business? Um, you know, that, where do you start? I mean, I, honestly, I think, um, like I first started learning about systems as a dishwasher, this dishwasher is, or this cook was like, it's like, you know, kind of country accent guys came back and he's like hey man you gotta have a system bud like you gotta you gotta do the system and he like you know i listened like it was like crystal clear in his memory and i was like listening to classic rock on the radio station he's like you know trying to like shed this light in some sort of like dazed and confused that fashion you know like um you know he's like it's all about the system man and like you know he's like trying to and I, and I, and I, but it was true, you know, like you set up the system and then your dishes like start, you start to flow and then things start to work. And then, you know, so when I counter pay and do you document uh, these systems? Like how did you create these systems? Is it just known? Is it just, there's one way to do it and everybody knows that way. Or how do, how do you go about systematizing your restaurant? What would happen tomorrow if you and Josh didn't show up? Would your restaurant be able to run without you? Yes. Um, for sure. So we, how, uh, where do these systems live? Do we they, do they consistently focus most of our attention to training and system building. So we can, as you know, we're, we're there. I work seven days. Josh and I work close today. Josh is, you know, doing admin work, counting money, doing drops. I'm doing a little organization, ordering, setting up the week, uh, you know, um, Troubleshooting some stuff, like you know, it's a, it's a, we're closed on Monday, so uh, we we have a lot of catch up catch up work to do. We had a meeting, you know, but um, but we're we're there seven days a week, and we're there so much because we're troubleshooting systems, mm. continuing to build mm. systems, look at the systems that we built, and um, you know, testing the systems, whether it's you know making yourself leave on a Thursday night because you have a full staff. And, you know, that's, you know, if I'm, you know, this Thursday, I will have a full staff and I will be there through the bulk of the night. And it, I'm trying to make Thursday night a night off for me. But, you know, I live 10 minutes away from the restaurant. And, um, you know, if there's a issue, you know, we just started, we just started doing caviar, which is like a, a, a delivery thing, like seamless or Uber mm-hmm. Eats. So, um, you know, we're, we're, fleshing out those systems and you know from placement of the to-go boxes on the line because our number one priority is that you know that sort of revenue you know that the 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 revenue stream from something like caviar uber eats or seamless is undeniable you know if you're you're missing out on that then you're then you're missing out you're sleeping and but you know i come from a restaurant background where you know we don't do to go food, like, you know, like, that's yeah. like, but also I'm, but I'm also like, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, and I, I just mean that in the sense that people that are paying for a seat in the restaurant and a meal, they will, their experience will not be compromised by, you know, package, packaging food up and sending it out. You know, like that is, it is an undeniable revenue stream, 
but it will be approached and systematically systematically addressed so that our customers will be priority will continue to be prioritized as you know the the, the primary focus you know yeah. but um you know restaurant industries the restaurant industry time and time again has proven that labor will be your most difficult uh, obstacle in terms of cost so you know if we can add an additional stream of revenue by packaging some of our uh more portable food um via seamless or caviar or uber eats then you know if if we do that you know, from 5.30 to 7.30 during the week while folks are getting on the train coming back from work and taking a shower before they go out, you know, we're, we're still paying people on the clock and they're doing, they're doing their job. But, you know, in the kitchen, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. So yeah. there's like a, there's a night where it, it, you're ready to go at 5.30, you know, there's a hundred other things you can be doing. But, you know, if they're ready to go at 5.30 and if there's nobody in the door, <laughs> you know, like that, then, you know, we can be cooking for people still. And, um, you know, delivery has been a way to do that. You know, the first turn is one, is one of the hardest times to fill your restaurant on Saturday night. You know, sometimes we do 225 people on a Saturday night and that's, you know, we only have 48 seats in the restaurant with, you know, a few additional on the patio now. Um, but yeah, that's a busy night. Um, but you know, people Saturday are out earlier. So, um, you know, anybody who has a, you know, most people that have a normal job, which I've, really never had. So I'm not really speaking from experience here, but you know, I imagine you got to work at five or six. And if you live in Brooklyn and you work in Manhattan, it probably takes you 45, 30, maybe 20 minutes. If you're lucky to get home and you're probably going to kick it for a second, take a shower and, you know, figure out what you're going to do for dinner. And maybe you spontaneously decide to go out, you're out the door eating dinner at seven, seven thirty, eight, eight thirty. 30, you know? So while we're doing good numbers on, you know, during the weekday um, and, you know, have no complaints there we're still trying to push it and figure out you know how to make you know how to stay busy as uh, busy as possible and yeah. um you know that's uh, like that's definitely it, been a way to <laughs> yeah but I, I you know i don't know how i mean that's you know i guess that uh that that still is like uh on the system <laughs> you know tangent but you know at craft and working for pay like these you know system but i'm not an organized person so i had to force myself to be organized and starting off with my thoughts you know taking right having a notebook and writing down my thoughts organizing my day setting goals like making sure you systematize and prioritize and you know make sure you line up things you set yourself up for success and i think you know um you know in addition to um you know, I don't think that's the only thing that you should focus on. But for me, as a disorganized and kind of chaotic person, like that's how I kind of combat that. And those systems have enabled Josh and I to, you know, in May we went to Taiwan for two weeks, and that's awesome. um, and the restaurant ran Beautiful. successfully. <laughs> and uh, you know, the people we've trained and put in place, they, they've done an incredible job. And you know, we're, you know, when we're not in Taiwan, we're at the restaurant seven days a week, and uh, you know. And that's because, and that's not because we have to be, but because, you know, we care to be. And I think that's, you know, that's why the systems continue to improve. At least we hope so. Awesome. Um, We're already in an hour and five minutes into the sucker. I love what you're sharing with us. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. We've all been there. I'm sure you have been uh, just going through that stack of menus every night, pulling out the nasty soiled 
expensive pieces of paper, putting them aside, throwing them away. God, it's so frustrating. This is a line item that just gets the best of us. It destroys our budget, and people are so freaking dirty. It's like, ah. Anyway, what if I told you that I discovered a piece of paper that's rip-proof and waterproof, 100% rip-proof and waterproof. This stuff is so durable, it's what the military uses to print their navigational maps and charts on. Like, they trust this stuff, and now they're printing menus on it. Head over to TerraSlatePaper.com to learn more. Guys, I'm telling you, this stuff is durable. I've seen the owner, Kyle Ewing, Throw this menu through a dishwasher to prove its durability. Again, TerraSlatePaper.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-S-L-A-T-E Paper.com. And if you use promotional code UNSTOPPABLE, you will save 15% on your first order. Get after it. I will not sit here and tell you that I have the secret sauce to marketing. The truth is the best way to market your restaurant is to do an incredible job for walls marketing, busting your ass, providing incredible experiences and just being the best of what you do. That's how you market your restaurant. The second best way to market your restaurant is direct marketing. This is any way you connect directly with your guest, and it goes beyond phone calls and in snail mail today. Social media, Facebook ads, emails, text messaging, Wi-Fi, mobile phones, apps. There's so many ways to connect directly with our guests, but you would need a degree or countless hours of research and planning and strategizing to pull all these things together on your own. There is another option. You can adopt a proven, successful, completely customizable, done-for-you strategy and plan created by an expert and past guest mentor on Restaurant Unstoppable, Nick Fosberg. Nick shares everything he knows in his book, Bar and Restaurant Success. It's the number one marketing and promotion book out there right now. Get this book for free. Go to freebrsbook.com and implement these strategies and plans today. Freebrsbook.com. We're back in the first question I have for you, Trig, is what is your it? factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, it's always hard to be introspective uh, like that, but I uh, guess I think I, I think I'm I think I'm good at building relationships. Oh, um, beautiful. The books, it's all, books I mean, all about team. Yeah. You alluded to it yeah. earlier that, you know, you have those great people in the systems, but you can't have the, the systems without the great people and vice versa. Um, you can't do it without a great team. You need, you need great people. Yeah. Connecting with people is what makes everything work. Absolutely. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? Ooh, um, got quite a few of those. Uh, maybe, um, like, a, you know, being, uh, it's either it's either kind of a, like impulsive like kind of a, like disorganization you know sort of ADD thing but that's also a strength so maybe like maybe like the like the temper side of that like I don't like lose it on people or I'm not crazy or anything like that I don't think anyway right? um, but uh, but definitely you know um, that's what I'm battling all the time it's just thinking about like you know examples in my life like Ted and trying to be more like that patient. You know, it's funny. I just recommended this book uh, this morning to your your mentor, uh, Chef Hartman, um, Craig over there down south, and uh, I recommended Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. 
because uh, I'm somebody too, man. I'm disorganized. Like I'm all over the place. I'm a clutter brain. Um, and there's some great habit forming uh, or just skills that you can develop that can form into habit, like just living your life off of a list and prioritizing how to prioritize. It's a great book. I can share it with you after this interview. But um, what is one piece of advice you have for leading? Um, for leading, uh, patience, like people are all different and everybody learns differently. And, you know, sometimes you're not teaching correctly or leading correctly. So if you, if you can't be patient and, you know, it's like, it's like anything, you know, people, you know, it's like, you know, if you're not, if you're not able to slow it down and really put yourself in somebody else's shoes, then, you know, your leadership, even if it's good, will will not will not work. Absolutely, man. Um, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the the interview process? Um, during the interview process, uh, I just look at where they worked and how long they worked for. Um, and uh, you know, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I that's I learn I look at where they work, how long they work for. Um, and try to think if I know anybody that they work for and, uh, or, you know, see if their, their track record and their timelines represent good qualities. Um, and then I, you know, in the restaurant industry, interviews are usually coupled with trails and that's where you really get the insight. Mm. So do some digging is what what I'm hearing you say is don't just trust the paperwork, but call some people up, do some digging and see if there's any, uh, yeah baggage that's yep. not on paper yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah sometimes you know people can carry their bags with them very you know sometimes baggage is you know irrelevant sometimes they're you know they may have baggage but they work like champions and yeah you know, that's i hear you so what is your biggest yeah. challenge right now chef um you know, uh labor no not there's you know i have like a part-time position open and uh you know, I filled it with a guy and he, you know, he like, called out and lied to me. And I, you know, I had to fire him. And, you know, it's like a position that's like just, a, it's just under full time. So a lot of people aren't interested in, in that kind of commitment. You know, they either want a full time paycheck or, you know, they're, you know, the people, sometimes the people that are interested in part time just kind of flake out or, you know, just reliability and, you know, it, it's hard work and, you know, you really have to see beyond the dollar value you're getting paid. So, Especially for a part-time position, it's hard to get people committed on that on that level. Um, but you know, we have a super solid team. So um, you know, we we you know, I've been working crazy hours. Uh, I always work crazy hours, but this past you know, the past month has been especially crazy. And uh, you know, we just got um, you know, just got a few people signed on that uh, you know that are extremely solid and. Um, super pumped to have them and uh you know but making making sure you know that the the way labor um comes and goes is definitely you know there's a tra- transitory nature of uh um of, of, of kitchen work you know what is one book that's a must read that will make us either a better person or a restaurant owner oh better person or a restaurant owner. um I, uh, that's, that's hard to, it's a hard question. Um, I read, I read through these and I remember thinking, uh, Lonesome Dove, <laughs> but that is not necessarily the best answer. Uh, I just love, I love, I love cowboy stories and that's a, that's a great one. Um, 
but uh yeah um is lonesome that, that, is that your answer lonesome dumb we can go with it if you want me to put lonesome dub in there yeah I, I, so um <laughs> yeah i mean can you go back to that question and i'll give reason why that's my answer if that is can we get back to that yeah so do you want me to ask that question again just edit that up yeah just ask that question at the end sorry <laughs> why would you guys know all right, I'll be I'll be sure to ask before we wrap things up. And uh, what is one technology okay. you've adopted in your restaurant, and how has that influenced operations? Um, I was talking about this with my partner when I read through these questions, and it's hilarious. Um, because I, I, I think it has, I have to go with the hot water hose right next to my fryer. I've never had a hot water hose next to a deep fryer, and I've always cleaned deep fryers. But having the hot water hose next to the deep fryer has improved the like i clean the shit out of my kitchen every day every night and <laughs> um my guys clean it too and 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 uh you know as we develop systems and um and you know it it, it gets more you know more organized more systematic and it's easier to, to teach how to do it but you know it's a lot of hard work and having that hot water hose so close to the equipment really enables us to maintain uh you know, like really keep it because we don't have an overnight quarter, or, you know, a dish guy comes up and cleans up after us. We do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that keeps, that keeps a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of shit out of the kitchen and, uh, you know, the pride that we take in doing that and the way we clean our equipment. I love especially it. Especially is, uh, first time hot water hose on that hose. has been recommended, yeah, which is I'm, brilliant though. I never even thought of that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's literally right. To the fire. I've worked in so many kitchens where, you know, it's all the way in a different room and you got to have this long hose and the porters come do it at night. And, yeah. You know, but like this way I can, you know, 30 minutes after you close, I'm spraying my shit down. You know, that's awesome. And you already mentioned ca- caviar earlier and uh, that's another great resource yeah. that uh, people are. I thought about that one too, but you know, that's you know, it's like not, it's a great resource, but I, you know, I, and, and I know technology, you kind of think like iPhones and interfacing graphics and shit, but like, that hot water hose can't beat it. <laughs> no, caviar is great, but it's no hot water hose. That's for sure. Uh, so the, yeah. <laughs> with all the, the the knowledge you have now that you've acquired working for free at all these incredible restaurants over the past years, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of his business advice, what would it be? Uh, just don't, maybe don't take things personally. Sometimes, you know, I've been definitely gotten down um, and, you know, t- having taken something personally or, you know, been, been kind of caught up in, you know, the, you know, the, the small things, you know, just kind of keep, keep plugging it. That's always easier to say than do it, but, um, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, you know, just staying positive and, you know, not, not taking any of the, you know, hard parts of this industry personal because it, it. it is a hard industry. <laughs> what is one question, Chef, I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this conversation or a topic that we did not discuss that you would like to discuss? Um, I don't know, maybe management style, because that's a big relevant issue these days, you know, how you manage a team. And, you know, I've been in kitchens where I've been screamed at and dressed down and demoralized. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, I don't think that's, uh, you know, why that is effective on some levels. Um, the nature of the industry is, is its own nature and you can't change that, but the industry is changing. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, constantly trying to figure out how to manage my team and keep my guys interested and motivated without being a tyrant or, you know, you know, a, a madman. So, um, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I try to be okay. I try not to yell. 
So how do you keep them motivated? How do you keep them going without, you know, having them lose Um, that interest? Well, you know, I'm constantly learning myself to just sharing, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think, you know, my guys always have good ideas and we work together to approach, you know, or organization and, you know, like the systems we're talking about, um, my, my, my two lead coach, Joey and Christian and my sous chef, Victor, like we're always, we're always looking at the equipment and the food and the way we plate and set up and shit is systematized. And think about how to make it better all the time. Every week, every day, there's some little thing we do differently. I guarantee you that make it, makes it better. And, you know, I, I, I used to work with this guy and we we're talking about, um, you know, you know, when I was, uh, I was at Upland and one of the sous chefs, one of my coworkers of came from per se, and, you know, I was asking him, you know, I was like, gosh, like, you know, the systems that we, from the restaurants we came in, like, you know, how do we build them? You know, how, do, like, I, I was asking myself that question, you know, how, how do we build them here? You know, how do we, how do we do, how do we, uh, you know, help set up this system so we can just, you know, we can, you know, how do we do, how do we implement that? And, you know, he was like, it takes years, you know, <laughs> like, it just takes years of consistency and, yeah. you know, and it was such a attitude observation and, and, you know, uh, you know, dramatic, it sounded so dramatic at the time. It was right. You know, but, you know, we, you know, the systems, they start with the small stuff, you know, portioning, you know, portion control, um, you know, that, you know, doing things and, you know, like tax, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just- like small things from, peeling vegetables and cleaning stuff to storing things and cleaning, you know, awesome. Cleaning, really. You know, like <laughs> the, the system, yeah. And can we get back to the book question? I think. I yeah, that's that right. Uh, so what is uh, that? What is that book? You can tell us why. Yeah, I, I was going to, I was going to say one from Dove because there's just a lot of like, some, you know, a lot of the, 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 that book is about like these two Texas Rangers, like, you know, trying to do the right thing, you know, and living that light, like hard life on the, like trying to, you know, do the right thing even when it's hard and you know and that's that, but but i think beyond that like, you know i i really always like the fountainhead a lot and i'm not like crazy i'm not like, super conservative or anything like that but the and i know that's philosophically like uh, the political agenda of Ayn Rand. but in terms of uh in terms of uh individuality and creativity i think the main character like wins a lot of uh i i was very affected by that book and uh you know awesome. and um and yeah, the Fountainhead uh, by Anne Rand. I think uh, you know the the architect and you know the the guy Howard Work, like the struggles he had, and, you know, to maintain integrity and that sort of battle is pertinent. You know, I don't think you have to be like a hardcore conservative to agree with that. You know, I'm not. I'm certainly very centrist politically and um, left leaning, but the uh, you know the uh, the the the, the um, concepts she brings forth in uh, in Howard Work about individuality and integrity of work and the way art is as you know like a lot of people you know like to look at cooking as art you know and, and it is but it's you know, it's also craft so you know like the, the materials like I love going I love living in Brooklyn close to these you know steel fabricators where I can go get a custom built shelf or like a nine pan rail or like, you know, a rail for your meat and I see them fabricate the steel from a sheet oh, into so a cool. bar. And, you know, so like that kind of stuff, like that thing makes, makes you think about, you know, Ann Rand and, you know, uh, Howard Rourke thinking about the materials he builds. You know, it's like, it's, it's a cool book and it's, uh, 
pretty deeply philosophical, but it's just really applies to like anybody who's struggling with something. You know, it, it's, it's cool. I like it. And when you're thinking of the the Lonesome Dove, the two Texas Rangers, it's kind of like you and Josh, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> we always have uh, we have a funny funny uh, Josh, right. Josh and I, yeah, we both like country music, so we have like kind of a Chinese cowboy motif that has, <laughs> has like pervaded our pervaded our like you know our restaurant approach we are you know we have a cocktail on the menu called the vaquero chino and uh the uh you know josh josh has did a little ditty at the end of our kickstarter video um about one thumb being a taiwanese american restaurant and uh you know it's just uh it's funny it's just you know we both like country music and you know (laughs) um cowboys more folk, I like not more folk and bluegrass for me personally, but we, you know, but I think uh, that's been sort of a lighthearted, uh, you know, and pervasive uh, um, motif in, the, in our in our restaurant. <laughs> well, Trig, man, I'm so I'm totally pumped for you and Josh, what you guys are doing. It sounds like you found the right partner. Uh, it's hard to find the right partner, and you guys are doing some great things from what I've heard. So just thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your advice today on the show as a guest mentor, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Brooks Tanner called you out. So who do you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've been for us today? Um, you got to call Pei. Pei Chang. I'm so happy you said that. I'm coming after uh, him. Well, yeah, you also should tag up with Luke Bergman in Colorado um, and, uh, and James Tracy in D.C. Luke Birdman and James Tracy. In, in Den- yeah, Luke's in Denver, Colorado, and James is in D.C. Awesome. Look out. Pay Luke. And uh, I already, man, my memory is the worst. Uh, what was the third name? And James Tracy. Yes. James Tracy. James, look out. I'm coming after you. Uh, I'd love to get you guys on the show, learn from you, get your story, gather your advice, uh, and just – you also tag up with Ed Crochet Ed, in New Jersey. And Ed. He's there. Hey, it. can I add one more? Yeah, dude. Keep going. <laughs> Damon, Damon Weiss. That would be – you would have a blast talking to him. He's a super smart and interesting chef and somebody that has always provided an extreme amount of inspiration. Beautiful. All right. I have my work cut out for me. I will do my best to get these guys on the show. <laughs> and um, let the folks at home know how can we connect – with you, if we want to come try some amazing Taiwanese food, or maybe we want to join your team. It sounds like you're a young team. You're growing. You're in New York, uh, or maybe we just want to pick up the conversation. How can we connect? Um, I'm I'm Trig at winsonbrooklyn.com. Um, I'm always in the restaurant. Swing on by anytime. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um, I'm you know Josh and I handle everything. We don't have like a PR team or anything like that, so we're super accessible. Awesome, and they do respond quickly. Uh, he was quick to respond to me, so they will respond. And I'll have your contact information, all that stuff uh, you just mentioned in the show notes. This is episode 366, along with the links to the books you recommended and the tools recommended in the summary of today's discussion. All right there, Chef Trig Brown. Thank you so much again for taking the time well, to join us, to share your story, to share your advice, for being somebody who understands the power of sacrifice and just – committing themselves to, to what they want to do. Um, it was an honor to make an example of you, man. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, um, keep on doing what you're doing. I'm thanks, excited dude. to listen to this episode. 
Um, all right, man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. Awesome episode with Chef Trig Brown. Some great nuggets just spread throughout his story. And when he was just dropping this advice on us in a couple things I want to extract before I say goodbye. And I love when I hear people say that they got into this industry because of the other people who work in this industry. That's, I think, why I love this industry so much, because the people who work in this industry are some of the realest mofos out there. They know who they are. Uh, they aren't willing to bend and conform to the way that they are supposed to be. They, they're authentic. They're genuine. They love what they love. Get the hell out of their way. They're unstoppable. Uh, they're going to make it happen. And uh, they're just good, awesome giving caring people the people who really get it in this industry are amazing yeah, he gets that i get that and uh, i also love uh the example we had today of his mentor chef pei chang uh the um the things that he learned from chef pei chang like just the the power of being organized keeping your shit together keeping your shit sharp being precise having your mise en place listening and just leading by example the power of just being awesome and lifting everybody else up to your standard, to your elevation. Uh, and again, just I mentioned it briefly before, but just listening. Uh, first seeking to understand, then seeking to be understood. It's such an incredible way to lead. I'm, I'm so happy he covered that. Uh, one piece of advice we got on the show was never take a job for the money. Always take a job for what you're going to learn. And uh, I can't remember. I think it was Chef Marcus. Uh, Giuliani who said that and man chef Trig Brown gets it too man he I love what he said when he said never take a job for the money always take a job for the experience Uh, what are you going to learn who are you going to meet who are you going to network with I mean when you're young and you're first getting started take jobs to learn lessons surround yourself with people who are crushing it who can teach you what it takes to be successful in this industry Uh, we we needed to put emphasis on that. I had to just, you know, deliver that thought one more time before I say goodbye. And then uh, knowing yourself, I think is huge too. Uh, he had an opportunity to go out into uh, start chefing uh, and going to different places, maybe taking, getting his own restaurants, but he knew he wasn't ready. Uh, he, he wanted to take a step back, go work for some other restaurant groups like star restaurants, like uh crafted hospitality. These are really well-known restaurant groups where, you know, these groups attract the best of the best. And he knew that if he got in with these restaurants and cooked on these lines, he would learn a lot more about pricing, about food costs and all that stuff. And he, he knew he wasn't ready. And I think that comes down to just self-awareness. Uh, what are, are you, are you aware of yourself, where you are, where you need to be, uh, mentally, maturity-wise, just knowledge-wise, take that time to do some serious self-awareness, some self-critiquing uh, before you commit to running a restaurant, owning a restaurant, because if you're not ready, you will not last. Uh, take time to surround yourself with people who will give you the lessons, uh, and you'll know when you're ready. Uh, you'll know when you're ready because, man, like you'll you'll sacrifice everything to make it. And I think that's another great lesson, the sacrifice that he put into uh, learning what he learned to, to get to where he is today. You guys, early on, you need to sacrifice. Uh, you can't reap rewards right away. It takes time, years, hard work to climb that ladder to get to the top. 
So, I mean, tons of great advice today. I loved it. Man, um, like always, guys, please do connect with me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable, and keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, also, I'm going to start hosting webinars now. This is uh, one way I can you know, just deliver more value to you, the listener. So uh, if you have a topic, an interest, uh, uh, a challenge, shoot me an email. Uh, let me know what you're struggling with. Let me know what you want to learn, learn about. Uh, we can learn together. I'll get an expert on the show. They'll, they'll go. I'll have them put together a webinar. They'll teach me. You guys can join. Ask your questions live. I want to serve you. Giving you access to my network, I think, is probably the best way I can do that. But it, it, this won't work unless you guys take the initiative to reach out to me and tell me what you want to hear. Uh, I will. I will go to work for you. I promise you that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Shout out to Jared Parisi, who's responsible for the production and editing of this show, helping me out so much. And uh, that's it for today. I love you guys all so much. Until next time, peace out.